Well, church, let's open our Bibles this morning together to Isaiah chapter 9. We were in Isaiah 9 last week, and we're going to continue this week. Last week we talked about, we started our series called Unexpected, the story that changed the world. And we talked about unexpected hope. And Christmas sprang from a hopeless situation. By human definition, mankind fell, creation was cursed, and it seemed like all hope was lost. But God promised to send a deliverer in the middle of the curse being pronounced over the woman, over the man, and over the serpent and creation. In the middle of that dark hour, God pronounced in Genesis 3.15 that a deliverer would come that would crush the enemy that would crush the head and that he would be bruised in that crushing. And that deliverer came in a dark hour of human history when no one expected it. And he brought hope to this world that did not deserve it, but that desperately needed it. So Isaiah 9 is a prophecy that was given around 750 years before Christ was born. And it is the announcement of something that was going to change everything. And even though the prophets were looking forward to this, even though the people of God were looking forward to it, what happened was completely unexpected. So much so that the religious leaders and those who called themselves the, the, chosen, the leaders of the chosen people of God, they totally missed Jesus. But this prophecy was given, which blows my mind, almost 750 years before Christ was born. And it gives us a glimpse into the bleak background of Christmas, but it also immediately springs into hope and to joy. So I want to read this morning, Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness... On them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. And they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder. The rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult. And every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire for unto us a child is born to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. This is the word of the Lord for his people this morning. And last week, as I said, we focused on hope. This week, we're going to be focusing on unexpected joy. If you'll look back at verse 3 with me, he repeats this word or a variation of this word multiple times he says you have multiplied the nations you have increased its joy 
they rejoice before you as with joy at harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. So joy is an integral part of Christmas. You can't think about Christ coming. You can't think about Christmas and the Christmas story without thinking about joy. Because what happened was unexpected and it brought an unexpected joy because the hope of Christmas is far greater than anything we could imagine. I've heard grace defined as any movement of God toward us that is not judgment. We deserve judgment. So any movement of God toward us other than judgment is grace. So if God had just shown us a little bit of kindness... If he had just shown us a little bit of common grace, it would have been more than we deserved. Yet at Christmas time, he himself descended and became one of us and he brought joy. So I want to start out this morning by looking at the definition of joy, the definition of joy. We need to define this this morning because in our world, a lot of times the, the terms that we use, even biblical terms, we kind of twist them to a, a Western frame, to a modern mindset, and the biblical language goes so much deeper than what many times we attribute to it. So the English, just the English dictionary definition of joy is the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or satisfying. And I think that's a, that's a good place to start. That's a really good Definition of joy and biblical joy is that it's definitely no less than that, but it's so much more than that. It goes so much deeper. So before we give what I believe is a good, solid biblical definition of this, let's talk about how joy is presented in Scripture. The Bible tells us that God is joyful. He is the source of joy. He rejoiced over his creation, declaring it good and declaring it very good. He sings and rejoices over his people. He takes pleasure in accomplishing his plans. We see that God is a God of joy. God is joyful. When he made King David, when he made David king and when he rescued him, the Bible talks about God rejoicing in his plans as he accomplishes them. The Bible says that Jesus took joy in the fear of the Lord says that Jesus was anointed with the oil of joy. He found joy in accomplishing God's will on the cross. The Bible tells us that he endured the cross, despising the shame, but he did it because he was looking forward to the joy that was set before him. He knew that he was going to accomplish his joy, God's joy, and also joy for so many people, bringing many sons to glory. Jesus talks about when someone enters into the kingdom of heaven as entering into the joy of our master. Isn't that a beautiful description of someone entering into God's kingdom? He says there's joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. The Holy Spirit possesses and produces joy. Romans 14, 17 says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.6 says, You also became imitators of us 
and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So we see that our triune God is a joyful God. He is full of joy. He is the source of all joy. And even though there's much darkness, even though there's much evil in this world, and sometimes we feel hopeless, and sometimes it's hard to find joy, we need to realize that God is full of joy. He has not lost his joy. So I want to define Christian joy in this way, and this comes from Pastor John Piper. He defined Christian joy. He said, Christian joy is a good feeling or emotion in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. I want to read that one more time. It's so deep. Christian joy is a good feeling or emotion in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. Warren Rearsby defines joy as that inward peace and sufficiency that is not affected by outward circumstances. So Christian joy is something that goes so deep in us and true Christian joy is a product of the Holy Spirit. We see in Galatians 5, and 23 that the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and, and many others. But joy, Christian joy, spiritual joy comes from the Holy Spirit. Believers in Scripture found their ultimate source of joy and satisfaction in Yahweh, in their God. They rejoiced in him because of his salvation, because of his justice, because of his protection, because of his word. And that's just a little sampling of the people of God in Scripture rejoicing in the God of their salvation. So we see the definition of joy. Definition of joy tells us that it comes from God. He is the source of joy. It's a part of who he is. It's a part of his character. It flows from him and it's given to us. It's a product of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's job is to glorify Christ. So as Christ is glorified and we see the beauty of Christ in the word of God and in this world, we celebrate and we find joy. And the important thing about that is Jesus never changes. No matter how bad this world gets, no matter how bad our health, our circumstances, our nation, our politics, no matter how bad our communities get, Jesus never changes. So we can always find joy in him. The problem is, is when we focus on this world, when we focus on ourselves, when we focus on our problems, we lose our joy and we forget about joy. But God never ceases to be joyful and he never ceases to be worthy of our joy and rejoicing and celebration in him. So we see the definition of joy. I want you to look now, looking back at our text this morning, at the promise of joy. The promise of joy. We see this is one of many promises in Scripture as this was written hundreds of years before Christ came and before it was fulfilled, that he would increase the joy of his people, that they would rejoice before him as with joy at the harvest and they would be glad in what he was going to do for them. Isaiah prophesied through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit 
that our mourning would be turned into joy. And we could talk, we could spend weeks going through the context of this verse. But what I want to do this morning is zoom in to the, the true meaning of why this prophecy is given. And it's the reason for all of the context and all of this prophecy. And that is that a, a child was going to be born. And he was going to be more than just a child. He was going to be born of a virgin. He was going to be the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. We see in scripture that joy and rejoicing and other forms of this word are found over 300 times throughout scripture. Because there's no way to talk about God and define God and define what he wants for his people if we leave out joy. The promise of joy is a part of the Old and the New Testament. And in scripture, despite what many of us have been taught, and I will just have to raise my hand and say I'm even guilty of teaching this. In scripture, there is no explicit difference of the Bible's use of happiness and joy. In our language, we think of happiness as having more to do with our circumstances and the happenings around us. And we think of joy to be something deeper and eternal. But if you study scripture, that paradigm doesn't work because many times happiness and joy are interchangeable in scripture. I've heard it taught that happiness is just a feeling, but joy is not a feeling. Happiness is fleeting, but joy is everlasting. Happiness depends on circumstances and other people, but joy is a gift from God. Happiness is worldly, but joy is divine. And I think we can make a case for that from our language, but in the biblical language, we do not see that distinction in Scripture. God constantly talks about being blessed, shown favor, being happy, and being joyful. And these terms are, are many times interchangeable in Scripture. But... In our world, there are different types of joy and happiness. There is a worldly joy, a worldly happiness, and there's a spiritual joy and a, a true, deep spiritual happiness. There is a joy that comes from, from the world, such as the fleeting pleasures of sin that are spoken about, spoken about in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 25, when he talks of Moses say, saying that he chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. In our fallen state, even as redeemed children of God, we can find temporary joy in the pleasures of sin for a season. And it's called idolatry. We do that so many times in our lives. We find joy, something that should be reserved for God, something that should be reserved to celebrate the good gifts of God, our twisted, warped flesh many times turns and celebrates and finds joy in things that are against God. But those things always disappoint us. Those pleasures are always fleeting. They're only for a season. They're temporary. It's a temporary happiness. But we also know that the Bible talks so many times about an eternal happiness, an eternal joy. The question is, where do we find our joy? Where is our joy rooted? Do we find it in God or do we find it in the world? Spiritual joy is joy that proceeds from the Spirit of God. 
It's the fruit of God himself. And this type of joy is a lasting joy. Psalm chapter 30 verse 5 says, His anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Have you ever been in a season like that? A season of mourning? A season of grief where it's difficult to find joy? Well, in the middle of those seasons, we can look forward to the hope and the joy that is ahead of us. Because God is just as much God in the storms, in our trials, as he is when things are going well for us. Romans chapter 5 talks about rejoicing in hope of the glory of God and rejoicing in our suffering because of our salvation, because of the grace that God has given us. We rejoice in hope. I believe one of the most powerful verses in scripture about spiritual joy comes to us in John chapter 16 verse 22, which is part of the upper room discourse where Jesus is having his final conversation and final teaching with the disciples. They had just received the, the, the final supper, the Passover meal, what we celebrate as the Lord's Supper or communion. They had just received that, and Christ had declared that his body was going to be broken. And the bread was a symbol of that. His blood would be shed and poured out, and the, the wine was a symbol of that. And he declares that that is about to happen. The disciples don't understand it. But he explains to them that when he goes away, he says in verse 22, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice. And no one will take your joy from you. Once you've seen what the disciples saw and what we have the privilege of seeing through eyes of faith, that Christ was betrayed, lied about, falsely condemned, brutally, brutally tortured, crucified, mocked, and murdered, and then three days later he rose from the grave, that should give us a joy like it did the disciples when they saw him face to face. We've seen him through an eye of faith, and we know that if Death itself can't stop Jesus. He rose and overcame the grave. We have been given a joy and we should rejoice in our hearts. And that's the type of joy that no one can take away from us. And we have to remind ourselves of this. Joy is not only a lasting joy, it's a satisfying joy. I love Psalm 16 verse 11. It says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy at your right hand. Our pleasures evermore. Maybe the reason we're losing our joy and not experiencing the promise of joy that Christmas guarantees to us in Christ is because we're not spending time in his presence. Because at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. As Christians, we're called to find our satisfaction in him. And I have so many more verses, but for sake of time this morning, I'm not going to read all of them, but I do want to read John 15, 11, because this is also from the upper room discourse. And Jesus says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Remember, I said God is the source of joy. Our joy comes from him, it comes from the father, the son, the Holy Spirit gives it to us. We can have his joy in us. 
We also see in Scripture that attached to the promise of joy, joy is commanded. Joy is commanded over and over in Scripture. Psalm 32, 11, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Philippians 4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Romans 12, 12, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Romans 12, 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And I echo the prayer of St. Augustine when he prayed, Father, command what you will and grant what you command. Many times the commands in Scripture, we don't, we don't find the ability within ourselves to fulfill those commands. When God commands us to have joy in the middle of our suffering, many times we have to step back and look at our situation, look at our circumstances and be honest with God and say, I don't know how to rejoice in this situation. I can't find joy in these circumstances. But we can pray this amazing prayer, Father, command what you will and grant what you command. He always enables us to do what he commands us to do. Where he guides, he always provides for his children. So we see the promise of joy. And God always keeps his promises. If we are children of God and we are living lives without joy, we are living disobedient lives. And we are living lives unnecessarily because joy is provided to us. Christ died to give us joy. Christ paid a high price for our joy. So it's promised to us. We should fight for this. And finally this morning, I want us to look at the arrival of joy. And this takes us all the way back to the Christmas story. We've gone from the prophecy 750 years before Christ was born all the way to his death, his burial, his resurrection, the writings of his apostles. Now we want to come all the way back to the Christmas story. And we see this in Luke chapter 1 verse 44 as this is announced. The word of God says, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. When Mary went to see Elizabeth, as we talked about last week, and I read both of their declarations of joy and of hope, Elizabeth told Mary that the baby leaped for joy inside of her womb. That's the effect that the Christmas child should have on us. That's the effect that our risen Lord should have on us. We should leap for joy when we're in his presence. Luke chapter 2, the story continues. And I just want to read these words over us this morning. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. In this first registration, when Crinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. 
And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. In the Jewish culture, significant events like childbirth and weddings are generally called, I'm probably going to say this wrong, but the simcha. And it's the same word in the Bible that is translated joy. These events, the birth of a child, a wedding, are expressions that are used for joy because of the emotions the feelings that are connected with that, and also the fact that it's ordained and it's a gift from God. We feel joy. And in Matthew chapter 2, which tells the story of the wise men who came to worship the newborn king, verse 10 says, When they saw his star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. This is biblical language that is, is amplifying the impact of these words, exceedingly great joy. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. You can't emphasize enough the joy that Christmas brings to us. And honestly, if it's not bringing joy to our hearts, we're missing it because it's a story of joy. It's a joyful story. There are eight Greek words in the New Testament for joy. Kara means joy, a calm delight, an inner gladness. And it's related to kairo, which is another word which means to rejoice. And the one we're most familiar with is karis, which means grace. So I want you to think about this this morning. I told you biblical language has, is so much deeper than we we realize so many times in English through the translation process. But what this is saying is that we rejoice because of God's grace. It's an awareness of his grace and his favor through Jesus that causes us to celebrate. The Christmas story is that Emmanuel has come. God is with us. And that announcement would bring us fear. Because of our sin, because of our separation from this God, this God had every reason to come in judgment. But the promise of Christmas was that he was coming with hope, with joy, and with peace 
for his people. And that's exactly what Jesus provided for us. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, Joy, in other words, is the response and the reaction of the soul to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no true eternal joy or happiness apart from Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said it best, as he usually does. Believers are not dependent upon circumstances. Their joy comes not from what they have, but from what they are. Not from where they are, but from whose they are. Not from what they enjoy, but from that which was suffered for them by their Lord. The Christmas child was born to save sinners. He lived a life we could never live. His child grew up and showed perfect obedience to God, perfect fulfillment of the law of God, never sinned, never transgressed God's law. He was God in the flesh. He was divine. He was perfect. And yet he died as a sacrifice for our sin. He rose from the dead and he offers joy and hope to all who believe in him. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. We live in an already but not yet reality. Christ has come. The kingdom of God was announced when he came. The kingdom of God is here. But yet we're still living in a period where we're surrounded by sin, where we struggle with the flesh, where we struggle, struggle with persecution, with suffering. We struggle with our own emotions, our own desires and unmet longings in our heart because we were created for more than this. But all of the promises of God are fulfilled in Christ Jesus because he came, we can hold on to the hope that because all of the promises that he made were fulfilled in him, the ones that we are still waiting on, we know that they will be fulfilled. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. If God is for us, who can be against us, church? So our joy is rooted in him. So as we close our service this morning with the application, I want us to think about three things. Number one, joy is available. Number two, joy is commanded. And number three, joy cannot be hidden. Joy is available. Jesus came. He was born. He fulfilled all the promises. He did everything that needed to be done, including living a perfect life, dying on the cross for our sins, rising from the dead, and sending his apostles Commissioning them to spread the word, spread the good news, make disciples, to spread this joy throughout creation. It's available. We need to ask ourselves this morning, do I have his joy? Have I ever truly received the joy of God? Do I understand the gospel? 
Has the gospel transformed my life? Joy is available to us. And it's not just available to those of us who are in Christ. It's available. We need to announce it to the world. Christmas started with the shepherds announcing to everybody they met the good news about Jesus. And we need to be doing that. Joy is available. Joy is also commanded. Why do you think joy is commanded? Why do you think the Apostle Paul repeated, rejoice in the Lord? Why did the psalmist repeat, take joy in the Lord, rejoice with singing? They repeat this over and over and over again because there is an enemy of our joy who is trying to steal our joy, who's trying to rob us of what God has rightfully given us in Christ. In church, we have to fight for this joy. Joy is commanded. If we refuse to focus on God and to meet with Him, be in His presence daily through reading the Word, through prayer, through experiencing the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, if we resist that in our flesh, we are disobeying the command to be joyful. We've got to fight for this church. And let me just tell, tell everyone in this room, none of us perfectly does this. None of us perfectly finds joy in our suffering all the time. If you're anything like me, you focus more on the negative things than you do the positive things. I'm a pretty positive person, but when negative things happen, man, it bothers me. Because I want everything to be positive. But I'm commanded by God. And when he commands us to do something, he enables us to do that. It's not just me. It's not just a command that my flesh needs to rejoice. He tells us that the Holy Spirit is in us, indwelling us. And we need to walk in step with the Spirit of God. His joy is commanded. And this joy cannot be hidden. You can't fake it. And if you have it, you cannot hide it. And this isn't some worldly, false, fake happiness or joy that is brought up by our circumstances or by our possessions or by other things that bring our flesh happiness and a worldly type of joy. This is a spiritual joy that is in us. And Jesus spoke to the woman of the, at the well when he was telling her about the salvation that he was bringing. He said this living water that's in us, it will, it will bubble out of us. It bubbled out of Jesus. It affected everybody that he came in contact with. This joy that is in us cannot be hidden. The Holy Spirit in you cannot be hidden. And we find our greatest joy when we walk in step with the Holy Spirit. When we surrender our lives to him, when we walk in daily repentance and we walk in his forgiveness, joy is the result of the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in us. So I want to close our service just with a word of prayer and challenge us to find our joy in Christ. Find our joy in what he's done for us and what he's provided for us. To ask him to enable us to express this joy in order to glorify him and to draw others 
to the source of our joy. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. We believe this morning as your children that this is true. We believe that your word is alive, that it is powerful, that these words are more than just letters on a page, that they are eternal truths that are spoken from your heart to our hearts, and that, God, you are calling us into a deeper relationship with you. Remind us, Lord, we we forget so easily. Please remind us of the truth of your word, of the joy that we celebrate at Christmas time. Father, we thank you for what you've provided. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to enjoy that. Lord, if there's any sin in between us and you this morning, Lord, I pray that we would confess that sin, agree with you, that that sin is against your will. And Lord, that we would repent, we would turn from that sin and trust in you, that we would turn from our idolatry, we turn from disobedience and walk in step with the Spirit. God, we can't do this on our own, but we are not on our own. We have your Holy Spirit living in us, dwelling in us. Lord, revive our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your joy in a way that we cannot hide and that spills over onto everybody we meet, especially at this time of the year. Lord, we thank you for who you are, the source of our joy. We give you all the glory and praise this morning. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen.